Um, so one of the things that we've been just becoming more and more aware of is that it is increasingly difficult to be clear about who you are and how it is you're supposed to live these days as a follower of Jesus. In many ways, the summer or rest on a Sunday, the Sabbath, should be like a little glimpse in our diaries of what our eternal rest should be and look like. And we're going to talk a little bit today about how it is that we have this insatiable desire, this satisfaction that is not met, this purpose that we never seem to quite grasp, this meaning in life that even in the good seasons we think, this is good, but surely there's more. I want to talk to us about that and help us to work out how do we, as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, how is it that we work out how to give more and more glimpses and grab hold of what is to come here now in post-Christian Glasgow? That kind of desire for more is um, epitomized by Augustine of Hippo in the fourth centuries. He's looking out over the Mediterranean Sea. And he's, maybe you had a bit of this in the summer, right? You're looking out over the sea or the loch and you're thinking, wow, it's beautiful. The sun is shining. As long as you didn't go on holiday like we did at the beginning of July. And it's just beautiful. And there's this kind of glimmering, shimmering lake or sea in front of you. He says this, if these are the beauties afforded to sinful man, what does God have in store for those who love him? What is coming? And actually we're all in so many ways like refugees. We're separated from home at birth and we're yearning to get home where we can find our true selves, where we can finally be the people that we're made to be. C.S. Lewis put it this way, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So our new series today that we're kicking off is called Longing for Home, and it's from Peter's second letter to the out of place. It's to our people in a vast region in what we would call today Turkey. And uh, the, the culture of the time was this Greek Hellenistic culture and it just didn't jive with these new churches that had established in the first century there across that region. So the gospel comes and it's based on a, a person who became flesh and lived out as gritty life perfectly. But in the midst of all the world's corruption and darkness. And it was through him that this message was being proclaimed, that you could be saved, that you could know God, that you could live forever. And actually, Greek Hellenism at the time said, no, 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 that's not how you experience God. How you experience God is through some radical, spiritual, transcendent, experience with him that actually is beyond our physical lives. That's, it, you have to be taken out of the world in order to truly find 
what it means to be godly, to live a godly life, to, to encounter spirit, true spirituality. The Christian gospel of salvation through God walking on the earth, blood shed on a cross, was extraordinarily countercultural. Counter Peter, interestingly though, doesn't throughout this letter discount the whole culture. And I think that's really important for us. I think what we can often do is we just discount the whole thing, say, well, well, there's culture and there's walking with Jesus and they're completely and utterly different. But actually within culture, you will see glimpses of what we are made to be. Desires, good things, things that we can actually draw upon and kind of get a, as if we build a bridge from those things to to Jesus, where we're truly going to be satisfied and, and those desires, those good desires that are in the culture, we can actually tap into them and say, no, no, that's brilliant, isn't it? Isn't that beautiful? But it's so much more incredible, so much more beautiful when you see that it was really all about God, all about Jesus. Peter helpfully shows us how to do this. But at the same time, he's urging Christians, don't try and fit in. Don't lose who you are. You are, yes, there are things in culture that we see that are good, but, but you know what? You are radically different. You have a new nature. Post-Christian Glasgow is exactly that. It's post-Christian. It's hostile towards Christianity based on it. So it's a reaction against what has gone before. But the good thing is, there are plenty of remnants of the gospel in our culture. Plenty connection points. Take human rights or social justice movements. Based on this image-bearing dignity that the Bible gives all people, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. They may not know it, but their whole drive towards social justice is based on that. It's just been skewed. It's now just doesn't have the parameters of biblical Christianity. Some of you went to Coldplay last week. Am I right? And you're at Hamden. And amazing light show going on, fireworks. I hear it's incredible. I'm a little jealous and don't talk to me too much about it. I would love to have gone. And People are like belting out their big hits together, singing them out at the top of their lungs. They're finding something there in congregational worship, basically. It's congregational singing, at least. And people are trying to find meaning and purpose and identity through some of the words. It's shared. And actually, there's something about that that is beautiful. There's something about that that's really inspiring and good. But of course, we know that ultimately we're not made for a Coldplay concert. We're made to worship to the glory of God. We're made to sing forever before an eternal God who we can truly find meaning and purpose in. We want to look into his glorious light, his, the shining, bright face of Christ and worship him together, all the saints and angels displaying the true meaning of life and what we sing and what we do. 
And that is true of all kinds of things within culture. You can look around and look at the way that people live and go, actually, there's a glimpse there of what we're supposed to be about. But they've lost their way. It's not truly what it's about. It's not, it's not really reaching to the person, Jesus, who can truly satisfy. So I'm going to read to us from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And it says this. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And just to mention that the the references to brothers here does mean brothers and sisters in this context. So Peter begins with this reminder that he might be an apostle and he may have had some extraordinarily extraordinary spiritual experiences, which he's going to explain actually later on in the, the verses to come. But actually, he has the same precious faith as they do. They are not apostles. I doubt that they would have had some of the experiences that Jesus has had with God, that Jesus has had, that Peter has had with God. Yet he says, their faith is just as precious. And so he would say to you today, your faith is just as precious. You may not have been on a hilltop and had Moses come down and sit with you in the glory of God, shining around Jesus right in front of you, like Peter had, but your faith is just as precious. To those villages, towns, cities, regions, who had faith in Jesus in a radically different culture, they couldn't handle this message that a man just like us, could have come and saved them. How could a person come and save them? Surely, they need to meet with a God outside of this corrupt 
physical world. But Peter explains, heaven is landed in Jesus. You don't have to go there because he's come here. Verse 2, Jesus is Lord. And goes on, verse 3, his divine power has been given so that everything we need for a godly life is within our grasp. God, the maker of heaven and earth, has come. He's come. He's come near. He's come into our existence. Heaven has come to us. That same power that spoke creation into existence, that created that sky full of stars. It's cold placing. That recreated, that, that, uh, that shows us this extraordinary beauty within life that we can all see. He is the one who has come. God no longer needs experiences beyond here and now. God came to this existence of ours. Greeks believed we needed to disincarnate into a spiritual world, lose weak, fleshy reality for a heavenly existence. But actually, what have we got here? We've got Jesus incarnate, God himself incarnate. In Jesus, heaven has come down. People saw how messed up the world was and the expected salvation couldn't come from it because it was corrupt. So you needed another worldly, out-of-worldly experience. Peter reminded the churches otherwise. Begins verse 3, through the knowledge of him, Jesus our Lord, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Glory, God's infinite worth of all things. The, the one who the angels sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. He is the one who has come. The glory has arrived. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, says John. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory has come and goodness has come. His perfect ways, totally unattainable to us. The culture at the time got that right. Unattainable to us. We are corrupt. This world is corrupt. Yet, he has come in his goodness to be one of us and he proved himself to remain good. And that's why in him we have everything we need for a godly life. Jesus who came by virgin birth, lived a perfect life, died a death on the cross, substituting our corruption, our sin, with his purity and goodness. His bodily, bodily resurrection from the dead, bodily, physical, actual person rises from the dead. And an actual person ascends into heaven and sits right now at the right hand of God with scars in his hands and his feet. God chose these very material, physical, gritty things of life as a means of saving us from its corruption. Heaven has landed and it's landed in the dirt. 
Verse, uh, second thing I want to say. Heaven is on the move. It's not just landed, it's on the move. By faith in the promises that have been fulfilled by Jesus coming in his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his pouring out of the Spirit, we participate in, Peter says, divine nature. We escape the world's corruption and we can participate in the mission of God. Now that's not escaping reality, but a living a godly life in it, like Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate missionary, isn't he? He came on a mission from heaven to earth. And do you think anyone has ever been so out of place? I mean, think of it. He's perfect in every way. He's come from heaven as the eternal God. And then he lives a life like ours. Only he is sinless and perfect. While everybody around him is is as messed up as me and you. How out of place must he have felt? We too are going to feel more and more out of place in this context. 1% of people attending Bible-believing churches in this country. And and let's be real about that. Even within that 1%, how many have really given their whole beings to Jesus? And said, I'm following in his ways, I'm, I'm radically following him, and I'm not just going to be like the rest of the world around me. So if that's you, if you said, I'm, I'm all in, you're going to feel out of place. Good news, Jesus did it first. Jesus led the way for you. So now, in everyday life, no matter how out of place we might feel displaying, trying to display God's glory and goodness, Jesus has gone before and he's prayed for us. Before, and he's still praying for us. Before he went to the cross, he prayed with the disciples that we would be in the world and not of it. That's our goal. We, we want to be in the world. We want to be right next to people who are seen by everyone as, as outcasts and dirty and the kind of people you don't want to hang out with like Jesus did, but at the very same time, remaining holy, seeking to be holy like Christ. We want to make disciples of all nations. And at the heart of that, Jesus goes on to say to to teach them to obey everything I commanded you. Why? Because at the heart of this heavenly mission is changed people who change people. Jesus changes us and calls us to then encounter people like he has encountered us and offer them Jesus and say, you can change too. You can become more and more like Jesus. We can ask people, are you looking for home? And if you're not quite found it, I'm not talking home where you were brought up, however that was for you. I'm talking really at home where you, where you really do feel like you. You can find it in Christ and heaven's missionary come down. And you can join him in spreading the good news. Home is heaven and heaven has arrived and it is on the move. 
Eugene Peterson, the guy who wrote the message, he said this about it. He said, biblical faith everywhere and always warns us against siren voices that lead people away from specific and everyday engagement with weather and politics, dogs and neighbours, shopping lists and job assignments. No true spiritual life can be distilled from or abstracted out of this world of chemicals and molecules, paying your bills and taking out the garbage. He means rubbish. This life of following Jesus is in the muck. Apostle Paul said this when he was writing to the believers in Ephesus. He says, it's time to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires. Okay, so put that off. Get rid of it. It's not you anymore. Then he says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on this new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what you're created for. That's who you now are, so be who you are. Now, we've got to be here, uh, like just really clear on something here, okay? Very important we're clear on this. We are saved from corruption, and that's totally and utterly the doing of Jesus not you. You don't save yourself, all right? You've got to get very clear on that. It's faith in him that saves us. Yet verse 5 says that to live the spirit life, a filled life, we are to do it by making every effort. So by his promises, we have received his spirit to help us to live a godly life, but we don't just kick back and do nothing. We must make every effort. I love the way Paul puts it. When he's writing to the, Coloss- uh, to the believers in Colossae, he says, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy. Doesn't stop there. Christ so powerfully works in me. In other words, you give it your all, but you're utterly dependent on the power of God. So it doesn't mean we kick back and we're lazy. But it also doesn't mean that I'm just making every effort and it's all about me and I'm just going to keep working really hard and I'm going to get up early and I'm going to get this done and I'm going to get that done and I'm going to prove it for you, God. Don't do that. Turn to God. Say, God, I can't do this. But I know you can. Would you fill me with your spirit and help me to live this life that you've called me to live? And then you take steps with him, in his power, making every effort. Peter, Peter's really deliberate about his language here. He, he says that you're to add to the faith that you already have received. Do you see that? So it's not that you've earned this faith, you've received it as a gift. And the distinction, which we mustn't get confused, is that although Jesus meets you just as you are, he loves you far too much, to leave you just as you are. He wants you to change and to be more like Jesus. Tragically, many have traded in the hard work of spirit-filled self-cultivation. And when I say self-cultivation, I mean to look to be, intentionally look to be more like Jesus for the low demands, traded it for this, for the low demands of self-acceptance and self-esteem. 
I am who I am. Don't dare you try and change me. In fact, I'll find home when I finally accept the real me. What they mean by that is by not really making much effort to change as a person. I just am who I am. I just got to accept me as I am. That's where my happiness lies. That is the cultural message that we hear again and again and again, and I need to, I need to tell you, it's just not true. It's just not true. It leads to a capricious life, thrown around, mood changes, and so do you. You give in to the desires of the moment. James says that you're like a wave tossed in the ocean, more foolish than you can ever believe. Double-minded. One identity issue after another. But as the church, we are different. We are pursuing something, a Christ-likeness, a holiness. Theologians call it sanctification. To be more and more like Jesus. And we need to make every effort. In the church, we talk about pursuing love, truth, and unity for God's glory and Glasgow's good. But we've got to pursue it, and we've got to do it together. It's not fed to you. Preaching is all well and good, but if it's not put into action, if it's just words, then is there really change in the heart? We've got to do this together, encourage one another, help each other to truly live for Jesus. You've been given faith, verse 5. Peter now says, work to add to your faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Now, we could have a sermon on each of those, but you're not going to want that right now, okay? But the point of this is that we are to participate in heaven's mission. Earth uh, is corrupt, but heaven's mission is at work, and we get to be a part of it. Have you stopped growing as a Christian? Maybe you're somebody who became a Christian a while ago. Do you feel like maybe I've stopped growing? Jesus tells a story um, about a master, a bit like an investor, and he gives them, uh, he gives three workers talents and um, he, he gives one five talents, he gives another two talents, he gives another one talent. The guy who takes five talents, he takes it away and he manages to invest it and double it so that when the master comes back, he says, look, I've got 10 talents now. Then he does the same thing with the guy who had two talents and he doubles it and he makes four talents. And, and the master says, well done, good and faithful servant to both of them. But then he comes to the one who had one talent and the guy says, oh, I was scared. I was worried. So I, I didn't want to lose it. So I buried it in a field. And then he takes it back out and he shows it to him. What do you think the master says to him? What do you think Jesus' point here is? He says to him that he was lazy and wicked for doing that. The point of this is that what we receive from God is to be multiplied, used, the point of this is that if you really have given your life to Jesus, then you'll start to see change in your life. 
our Master, our Lord, has given us each different measures of gifts and abilities, will you be faithful with them as heaven's missionary in the world? The reason we stop growing and start burying what we've been given, according to Jesus' parable, is fear. And fear comes, and we stop growing when, verse 9, here in our passage says, we forget who we are. It's an identity issue. If you're not growing, you don't know who you really are. You don't know what it is that God has done for you. You have forgotten that you're now a heavenly citizen on the move, expanding with the kingdom. You've forgotten that by, by nature, as a Christian, you grow. If you're not growing, it's an identity issue. Remind yourself, you're a saint, not a sinner. A child of God, not an orphan. You're a servant of Jesus, not a consumer. You're a worshiper of God and not caught up pursuing the things of the world for satisfaction and purpose and meaning. Jesus has changed you. You have a new nature, a new identity. Now, enjoy it, live it, grasp it. Don't get buffeted around by the world. And so this is quite scary when we get to verse 10, because I think it's the kind of verse we just want to explain away. But it is actually quite simple, and I'm just going to be really real and frank about it. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Your response throughout your life, not like hour to hour and day to day, okay? You're going to have ups and downs. But over the years, you should be seeing evidence of growth if you have genuine faith. God's family has chosen people change and changed people change. It's the adding to genuine God-given faith that he's already explained. Heaven is on the move, and it's on the move in us. If we have genuine faith, we can expect the kind of change that will turn to lived lives for Jesus in the grittiness of this world that are more and more like him. Heaven has landed. Last thing, heaven has its welcome sign up. Now, you may have noticed something a bit awkward, a little bit uncomfortable. Heaven, the kingdom of God, is here, but we know, it doesn't take much looking around, to know that it's not fully here. It's not fully established. Just look at all the injustice that's still prevailing. Just stick on the news. We need to understand that the, the heaven has come and it is on the move, but until Jesus returns, it will not be complete. So from now to then, we want to do all we can to show glimpses of the coming kingdom, the kingdom that's on the move, the, the heavenly movement of God that will one day fully be established in what the Bible calls a new creation. J.I. Packer was a great pastor and theologian, and uh, he said this, For the Christian... The best is always yet to be. Our Father's wealth is immeasurable, and we will inherit 
the entire estate. Jesus is getting ready to welcome us home. And it's going to be, verse 11, a rich welcome. Abundant. I mean, he loves abundantly pouring out his grace on his people. And we are going to see the fullness, a culmination of that when we come face to face with him. In the meantime, we have a heavenly mandate to welcome people to God. The welcome of God is extraordinary. The big welcome sign is up. But right now, our role is to do as Jesus did and welcome people to ourselves as temples of the living God, as spirit-filled people. Heaven's missionary was so out of place on the earth. And he was speaking uncomfortable truths and behaving in countercultural ways. Yet even as an outsider, he was able to consistently welcome people to himself. Do you notice that he's even able to welcome people and invite people for dinner even though he was homeless? I mean, wow! That, that is awesome! We want to be people who welcome others to ourselves. Not only around a dinner table, but just in being us. Just open and approachable. People we don't mind and we, we, uh, who don't mind their days being interrupted because their love goes beyond their, their own set of criteria for the day. Even on the cross, Jesus is inviting people to himself. He's inviting them to heaven. Now we need to do the same. Spirit-filled believers, we are called to honour our neighbours, not because they deserve it. That's not the criteria. In fact, we haven't really understood the gospel if we are only giving out to people who we think deserve it. Jesus gave out to you, he gave out to me, even though none of us deserved it. Remember, he was perfect, totally out of place. And he's still welcoming everyone to himself. You see people who are not like you. You see people who are a bit annoying. You see people who you can't be bothered with. Be like Jesus, because you were that to him. And yet he loved you. He loved you. So much so that he would come and die in your place. Every single person you meet has the potential for a life of glory. Do you know that? As they encounter heaven's missionary and lead them to their true home. People in Glasgow need their true home. The old firm yesterday left half the city totally gutted, half the city are so delighted, and it won't last and it won't satisfy. Sorry, even if you're a Celtic fan, that is true today. Okay? Next time, Rangers will probably beat you. There is nothing out there that will satisfy you like Jesus. There is no home that you can find that is better than heaven. And everyone out there needs to know their true home is waiting for them. There's a, a missionary who has spent a lot of time in Muslim-majority countries, a guy called Elliot Clark, and he writes a book called Evangelism as Exiles, which I think when more missionaries are coming here now than are going out by quite some number, and I'm very glad for them, I'm praying for more missionaries to come to Scotland because that's where we're at. 
we need to be reading books like this, Evangelism as Exiles. He says this, you're called to show honour to every single person, not just the people who deserve it, not just those who earn our respect, not just the ones who treat us agreeably, not just the politicians we vote for or the immigrants who are legal, not just the customers who pay their bills or the employees who do their work, not just the neighbourly neighbours, not just kind pagans or honest Muslims, not just the helpful wife or the good father. The time is coming and is here now when the world won't listen to our gospel simply because they respect us. We are post-Christian. This culture is reacting against us. The assumption is that we are not good. And so we need to show the goodness of God in our lives and go radically against the expectations of this culture and show them Jesus. All of us are looking for home, but praise God, home has found us. Heaven has landed, heaven is on the move, and heaven does have its welcome sign up. Now we get to be a part of this heavenly advance around the world. Why don't we get on our feet? I'm going to pray for us.